that's the best way. That's the same with me. Like, if you just state the truth, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't know. I've heard from so many people, including my dad, like, just whenever you say something or whenever you think something or do something, just imagine God is there watching you all the time. And that will keep you in check. And you know what? It's so true. Like, you can't hide anything. Just, just be open and transparent. Anyway, Gigi, hello. Thank you for joining me. I think it's really early where you are. So apologies. Oh, it's really 9 a.m. Uh, it's not that early. It's perfect time. Okay. So um, before I press the record button, you started explaining to me how you've suffered for basically being a truth teller, just saying it as it is and sticking to facts and science. And, and I, I, I said, stop, 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 stop. I want, I want this fresh. I want you to tell me like it's the first time I've heard it. So I, I did stop you very quickly. So please start back again. Tell me about yourself. Like, you know, what were you doing and what then happened to you? Um, thank you very much. First of all, Dr. Malik. Mal I was a, an academic neuroscientist, which really means for most people that you're trying to get tenure. Um, so you're at the lowest rung of a ladder where nobody's paid very well and everybody's contract is one year long. And if you can get a grant under your name, if you can get a foreign student to sign up to study with you, then maybe you can get some momentum going forward. If you get a patent, maybe you can get a little momentum going forward. But the bottom line is, is that I was at this stage where I needed to get some money from the government or some other organization in order to perpetuate my career, or I had to find somebody with money who thought that I was useful enough to keep me around. Because at some moment, you become too valuable in the sense of um, they have to pay you too much as a postdoc for your experience, and so they'd rather hire a new one mm. who is more likely to get a beginner grant, more likely to get a K99 or whatever these other grants for growing postdocs are. And if you're like where I was, where you had 10 years plus experience, you can't get any of those lower sort of climbing the ladder grants. And so by the time I came back to the United States, um, I had tried to get tenure in the Netherlands. I had already been a staff scientist in Norway. And so I had this career which prohibited me from doing anything except for tenure track level grant writing, which is which is quite challenging if you don't have your own lab to begin with. So essentially, when you, when you write a grant proposal to the NIH, you know, one of the things that that's based on is where you are now. And do you have a lab? Do you have students? Is a university supporting your work? And I wasn't in that position. I was in somebody else's lab. But <clears throat> to summarize, I had come from the Netherlands to Pittsburgh to work with someone who had just been given their own lab. And so essentially, I was like a, an ace in the hole in the sense, because instead of having a postdoc that he had to train, he hired a postdoc that could train everybody. Mm. That's what I did. I trained students. I got all of his experiments going without him needing to train me. I sat down and did his measurements with his programming, but with my microscope skills, I did his measurements that he wanted to do for his grant proposal in less than six months. And so he submitted his R01, and it got funded in the first year that I was in his lab. So essentially, he hit the ground running because 
he got lucky enough to have somebody who didn't need training come to his lab. Well, about two and a half years into our relationship, the the pandemic was starting, and I had been, for the year previous to that, I had taught a course, for the semester previous to that, I had taught a course at the University of Carnegie Mellon, that's also in Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon University, I should say. And that pretty much got me, <clears throat> got me to the stage where I was really missing teaching again. And I'd always, I'd been a high school teacher before this. I'd always liked teaching, but as you may or may not know, in academic biology, that's not important anymore. That's, that's something you do as an obligation, but nobody likes to do that. Um, and so after teaching this course, I scratched that itch by starting a YouTube channel where I was doing journal club on my bicycle. and. <laughs> when the pandemic started, I was already riding my bike to and from work and recording myself yelling at cars and talking about science. And so I just did three bike rides home in a row where I was doing reviews on coronavirus literature and gain of function and, you know, how does all this RNA virus stuff work? And I convinced on myself. On a bike? On a push a bike? bike? Yes. No electric bicycle. I had about <laughs> 10 miles to ride. So there, there's hills and stuff. So it looks really dramatic, but it's actually was pretty doable. Um, so at this stage, I had convinced myself that they were lying, that there's had to be a lab leak because a natural virus wouldn't do what they were telling us was happening. And I bought into the whole idea that they were covering something up and that obviously they knew. And maybe it was Peter Daszak. I was on all of that. Um, blaming Tony Fauci, yelling mm. about Ralph Barrick at University of North Carolina, the whole nine yards. And for about, I would say, <clears throat> the sum total of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, I was selling the idea that it was a lab leak. But because we had previous immunity built up to other coronaviruses that was very aimed at conserved epitopes that don't change very much across coronavirus variants, I was making the argument that we definitely didn't need to worry about if you were healthy, that you were going to have a devastatingly, you know, you were going to die. Like, that was ridiculous, and I was trying to sell people on the idea that they must be exaggerating this. And I didn't know why. I had no answers. But I was sure that the... <coughs> The mainstream, <clears throat> I apologize, it's the morning. Um, the mainstream consensus that natural immunity was irrelevant. They were actually saying that, that we weren't sure if natural immunity was even possible. They wrote a paper that they put in the Lancet, this Jon Snow declaration, which said exactly those words. We're not sure if we can build natural immunity to this virus. That was at the stage where I knew that they were lying. They had to be lying. There's no reason to say something so dumb as that. So at that stage, I was really arguing with people in the hallway and not able to keep my cool anymore when people would tell me that, well, but the r naught that they reported in the New York Times was 16. And I would just not be able to handle it myself anymore. And so eventually, it was October in 2020 that they asked me not to come in. And at that stage, they had already warned me. They said that we saw your YouTube channel, but that's not your expertise. 
don't speak to any newspapers, okay? Um, they had said a lot of other things that they didn't like what I was doing, but then at some point I just got an email and said, don't come in. Now, keep in mind, I was working for a guy who was wearing two masks inside of the building in his office all the time. So these are people who who consider themselves biologists but have not read their way in to biology in a way that a little kid does. You know, when I was a little kid, I was I was reading everything from books like All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet about a veterinarian who goes from farm to farm. And I was also checking out books about animal diseases and veterinary science and just to have them, just to page through them, because I was sure this was the only thing I was interested in. I caught snakes and and they got loose in my house. And like my parents know they even have pictures that I drew when I was six years old where I'm labeling the parts of different animals that I'm drawing in a notebook. Like I've always been this little biologist. And so for me, as a neurobiologist, it's always been frustrating. I'm, I'm maybe if you're aware of this, just to kind of frame where I come from. Neurobiology became this very sexy part of biology in the last 10 years. And so all this money gets thrown into it. And what that does and what's that encouraged is that's why they call it neuroscience, mm. because they want you to believe that anybody can come in and study neuroscience. All you got to do is be a scientist. Mm. So physicists, chemists, computational modelers, all these people have flocked to neurobiology without the biology to really contribute. Mm. So I've spent a decade in neurobiology just pulling my hair out because somebody in the back room says, hey, can you tell me what G-protein coupled receptors are? And I turn around and go, what are you doing in a biology class? Like, why are you in a biology lecture talking about the role of G-protein coupled receptors in the brain if you don't even know what that is? That would be like being in a in an auto mechanics lecture and raise your hand and say, can you explain what an internal combustion engine is? <laughs> it would be like, what are you doing? Why are you in a in a class about differentials if you don't even know how an engine works? And so these physicists and other people have sort of enabled this the foundation of this bio, biology to be kind of shaken because they bring into the field a lack of understanding of it and so then half of the people don't even really understand the limitations of where we are and how we got here and so it's very easy for them to to embark in these tangents where they think they're solving a problem that biologists couldn't solve because i'm bringing this tool set that you didn't have and this has just destroyed biology on so many different levels. And I hated it. It drive me nuts. And people used to always say that this is not going to work for you. Like this career is not going to work because you don't get it. And wasn't that I didn't get it. It's just that it's so broken. Like it drove me nuts. <laughs> Sorry. You, you were. No, I get that. I get that. Listen, I have to tell you, full confession, I have no idea what G-protein coupling, whatever freaking is, but I'm just a dumb orthopod. It reminds me of a tweet I saw you. You were really passionate at getting upset about something. 
Someone commented about GMP as if it was some cellular biological thing, but it was actually in reference to good medical practice clinic, you know, the, the not clinic, um, you know, the research lab. It was about the, it was about the, the grade of the lab, laboratory grading. And, and it was obvious to me, I at least know that, even though I'm a dumb orthopod, that that's what that was referring to. But this person jumped in as if they knew what they were talking about. And they were talking about cellular level stuff. And you're just like... Look, I don't have any hair to tear out, but you need to look after your hair. Otherwise, you're going to end up looking like me. You can't tear your hair out, okay? <laughs> but it was hilarious. And I think I think the problem is, yes, it's good that people are interested in what's going on in science, especially in the last three years, and they're trying to figure stuff out because the reality is legacy media is lying to us. But the danger is just like that tweet, that you 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 were upset about it's like people think they know what they're talking about and they're so off field it's unbelievable and it sounds like even in your field people are saying they're neuroscientists but they don't know the basic fundamentals how can you write an essay when you don't know what the alphabet is um so i i feel your pain buddy I, all i can say is i feel your pain <laughs> well i think that that to keep to keep pushing this 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 sort of discussion in the same direction, I think it's good. Um, it's important to understand that that a lot of academic biology, and that includes medical investigation and 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 academic medicine, is set up in such a way that that they use this term reductionist. And we're all we're, the people that are in that system understand reductionist as a necessary evil that you try to reduce the question that you're asking down to a sufficient number of variables so that you have enough balls that you can juggle. And the trick with that is, of course, is that none of these systems are a three-ball juggling trick. And it's very easy to sit down with somebody and say, well, I have a, I have a strategy that you can use to learn to juggle in three days. And that's totally true. But if you try to tell somebody that that strategy can be easily applied to juggle eight balls. Now you're kind of, now you're kind of full of full of baloney. And with regard to biology, I'm afraid that one of the enticing fallacies or mythologies that has been ubiquitously spread throughout biology is this idea that reductionist experimentation in biology is a way to is a way to effectively cut through the complexity that really defines what it is. And as a as a lifelong biologist, I've come to understand that there is a wall of complexity at all in all fields of biology that once you reach it, reductionist science is not useful in going any deeper because by definition, what you're trying to understand is the interplay between eight or more balls. And so if you want to understand the interplay between eight or more balls, you can't isolate three and expect that to help you understand it. It would be very similar to saying um, you're trying to understand the musical theory of, a, of an eight-piece arrangement but then you're going to isolate just the violin and the cello, and then mm. you understand what the composer was trying to accomplish. Mm. And that's not possible. And at some moment, the transhuman um, <clears throat> futurist people, <clears throat> I apologize, 
uh, have sort of convinced us that we are at the cusp of breaking through to the other side of this complexity and totally understanding it and having command of it, rather than being honest and saying over the last 20 years we have come to understand this as an almost impenetrable wall that without some other form of brute force or massive data collection and AI application, there's no chance to get through this wall. And I believe that it's possible that even that is a ridiculous strategy. But my argument, I guess, is that we have to come to understand that we are being governed by people who look at the intellectual property space and the intellectual free space that is created by universities and over the last 10 to 15 years have been changing that space in order to ever decrease this idea that there's something sacred that we can't get past, that there's something so magical that we, we have to respect it and kind of walk that fine line. They're, they are trying very hard to remove this ethical break that is on us, that, that sort of we get to the point where like we look over the cliff and we're like, whoa, we better back up a step. And they really want us to get rid of that feeling and that respect for what we see as this unimaginable complexity instead of, instead they really want us to see that as, as something even not there. And I don't understand it, but that, that really manifests itself with the idea that they convinced us to transfect ourselves. It's just crazy. It is, you know, it's, um, you've just articulated really beautifully what I always just say, the more, I kind of figure out now at the age of 48, the more I realize I know freaking nothing. <laughs> I know fracking nothing. You know, I just, every single time I learn something new and I go, but this is, this is just added 10 hundred more questions. Like I actually know less now with this one extra piece of information. That's all this is telling me. And um, it sounds like humanity's tombstone is going to read they thought they were so smart, but they were dumb as shit. <laughs> like, and I don't, I don't know if it's just, JJ, what is it? Is it just professional hubris and arrogance? I mean, what is it? What's happened to humanity now? Are these leaders, these so-called people who govern us, are, are they just a bunch of psychopaths who have lost the plot? Or they, do they actually believe their shit? I mean, what's going on? I think, they, I think honestly, I think they believe it. I think that there, there have been, there have been discussions over many, many years about, about the, I mean, that's the thing. I, I think I've said this in another discussion the other day with just somebody in the house. But what we have to understand is that we have been programmed by the TV and social media to have our longest horizon be like a year from now. And there are people in the world and more importantly, people in the world with giant piles of weaponized money mm. that don't think in those time frames, but think in time frames of 30 and 50 years. And those people, like the Rockefellers and the, all the other big names, that's how you think if your family has been around for five generations with a weaponized pile of money that they can influence people with. Mm -hmm. So when you grow up in the context of, being in a group of people 
that is used to influencing the world because of the size, the size of their pile of money, then you think in time horizons that are very different than next school year or where your next house is going to be. You're thinking about whether your grandchildren will still have the power or more than you have now. And those are the people, I believe, who are able to think in terms of, well, transfection might not work perfectly, but we know this is where we want to be in 50 years. And we know that we're going to need to push past this regulation and testing. We're never going to figure out how this works if we don't just convince people that we've got to do it. And so over many, many meetings in many, many years, they have conscripted various people who, because of comfort or fame or fortune or, or prestige, have decided to take part in this idea because as long as my family makes it to the next stage, I guess that's the way everybody's playing it. And once you sit down in a room of people that convince you that you're about to join their group, mm. how hard is it? To, how hard is it to imagine that you wouldn't do it too? I mean, I, I if I was told that this was the inevitable direction of a planet of 10 billion people, that the combination of biology and governance was going to reduce the population back down to 2 billion, where it should be, and that it is in the best interest of future generations for us to not let that data go to waste, but we should govern the world in such a way so that we convince those people as those generations go into, you know, the, the into our ancestry that we collect the data as they disappear and so there is a 20 or a 50 year time horizon on this 10 billion people where their kids and then now that's going down and down so this is the last time where 10 billion unique expressions of the human genome are going to be available for collection and so most likely these people with this long time horizon have said to each other in secret meetings that the way this works is we're not going to let this go to waste. And we don't want them, we, if we just depopulated, well, then they would have figured it out. So let's have a way of everybody sort of contributing to, to this governance. And as long as we tell them the truth about what we're doing, we don't have to feel bad about it. And they've told us the truth. They've told us the truth that there are too many people on the planet, that, that that's the reason why pandemics happen. Now, pandemics don't have to be biology, but they can be a governance strategy that is used to control and change the population's mind about their sovereignty over their body versus their what they owe to society. And eventually, they're going to convince our children, not us, but our children, that they owe more to society than they do to their creator who gave them this perfect body. That's the idea. And so it isn't about us. It's about separating us from our children so that our children listen to the TV and social media more mm. than they listen to us. I think, they, I think they're actually going for no less than what happened in China where the kids turned on their parents. Oh my goodness. And JJ. JJ, you know, I, I literally wrote a Substack yesterday. It's in my draft box where I said, I'm doing this podcast 
um, because of my love of humanity, but actually for my children, because they're coming for our children. And I want my they kids. Definitely are. Yeah. And I want my kids to look back and remember me and go, you know what? My dad was a fracking legend. My dad was a fracking. He put, you know, his career on the line, his income, fancy holidays and whatnot. He, he didn't care. He wore T-shirts with holes in them, you know, and but he did it for us. And, and, and I'm so glad you're, you've articulated it because it is, it's all about our kids now. And you've just said so many things I want to pick apart. It's really funny. The more, listen, remember, I'm a dumb orthopod. Yeah, I just fix broken ankles. But when I, when I speak to wonderful people like you, smart people like you, and I learn about the, the fourth state of water and the mitochondria and the magnetism and Jack Cruz and all these, is it Dr. Isabella Cooper and all this fantastic stuff that I'm listening and hearing about and what's going on in the cell and the fact that the cell isn't just a brick in our body. Our cell is a universe of its own that I think this is, this isn't by chance. There must have been a creator. We must have been created. This is too intricate and complicated to all just have happened by chance. And you mentioned a creator. I think we, we have been created and we are magical beings. We, we are souls. We are spiritual beings that have a body, not the other way around. Um, have you ever heard of someone called J.E. Ed Griffin? The Creature of Jekyll Hyde. He wrote a book, The Creature oh, of yeah, Jekyll, yeah, yeah. Jekyll yeah, Island. Jekyll, Jekyll, Jekyll Island. Yeah. Dude, guess He's what? He's one we... of the first... Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, tell me. He was one of the first what? Oh, so when I first... You know, I wasn't always a conspiracy theorist. I was always a biologist. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, become a, I didn't become a conspiracy theorist until 9-11. No, no, um, dude, get it right. It's conspiracy realist. You're a conspiracy realist. Yes. Yes. I, I didn't see the conspiracy until 9-11. So when 9-11 yeah. happened, yeah. Um, I, was a, I was a postdoc at the University of Chicago, and I had just finished three years of high school teaching because I was treading water trying to get into med school. So one of the things I did, well, I didn't left it out in my story, but after I graduated from my bachelor's degree in Chicago, mm. I treaded water for about three years or four years as a high school teacher applying to med school, getting on the wait list, never getting mm, in. Mm. And I had an interview every year, every year I thought I got better in my interview, but it didn't <clears> um, I honestly look back and think that I, I didn't do very well in my interview and I never really knew why I wanted to be a doctor. I had kind of convinced myself when I was younger that that was what you do, um, <laughs> but I'm very lucky in retrospect that I didn't go into it. I think it would have been even more frustrating for me than academic biology was. Um, but the thing that I wanted to say about that, I'm trying to think, um, Griffin, why did I Ed go Griffin, to Chicago? Ed Griffin, yeah. Jekyll, creature of Jekyll. Oh, yeah, so then that happened when, when, when 9-11 happened, um, I was commuting from the north side of Chicago to the south side of Chicago. So I woke up in the morning. Mm. I had my morning routine with my roommates um people that i worked at the bar with so they're real nice guys and they had turned on the tv and they're like dude a plane hit and so i was like i gotta get on the train so i walked out the door walked down the street got on the l i got off the l and got on the bus and somebody sat next to me said did you see that another plane hit and i was like i didn't even see the first one yet wow that's crazy so i walked to the university of chicago mm. and my boss at that time was Khalid Hawamid, 
who is a, a Tunisian Muslim, uh, the first and only Tunisian Muslim patch clamping nature paper having biologist. It's kind of a funny guy. I love the dude. And he had shaved his beard. And he was looking the most terrified I'd ever seen him. He said, you need to go home. Um, this is really bad. And I'm very scared for my family. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay. He was like worried that they were going to sweep him up. Mm. Um, and he sent me home. I went home. I spent the whole afternoon watching TV with my friends and, you know, kind of goofing around like, wow, this is crazy. And then the seventh, after the the two buildings fell, I was already trying to explain to people that I, I I don't understand how that happened. The bottom of the building should still be standing. I don't know mm. what just occurred. Mm. And I, my friends were like, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, that's not how it happens. Like that top should have rolled off and fell on a building across the street. What happened is bullshit. So they were like, you don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck you. I don't know. And, sorry for this. And then in the afternoon, Building seven fell. Yes. And you cannot imagine what happened. I threw a beer bottle in the air and it went across the room and it broke a China cabinet window. Like I went, no way. Oh my gosh. I lost my mind. And for the next two weeks, I couldn't really keep my head on straight. I was, I was printing out papers. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, I was that's the podcast. Papers. That's the podcast I did on nine eleven. He's, he's he's fantastic, and he was really one of the people. And when I saw him in two thousand two, I finally felt a little bit like I wasn't crazy. Um, and and it's 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 nuts because then I started researching, and two people that I found very quickly. One was Mike Rupert. Mike Rupert is a former L.A. police officer the shipment of crack cocaine to um, inner city places by the CIA. And he also oh. uncovered the trafficking of this stuff um, by the CIA with military planes. So he got fired from the LA police and then, or wherever he was working. And then he moved out of the country and he had this blog called uh, into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And he introduced me to Griffin and his work. And Peter Griffin just basically is the guy who has sort of been telling the story for the longest about how the Federal Reserve is actually a a cabal of bankers, which more or less have control over the American system as part of this cabal of financial control, which I think is more or less centered in London, but it's not my expertise. So, JJ, um, JJ, yeah, go ahead. I spoke to Ed last night. I did a podcast with him. Oh, you did? No way. Wow. Dude. You are really uh, talking to too many people. <laughs> That's pretty funny. JJ. You're nailing it all now. JJ, it was amazing. It was amazing. I'm mentioning it because of what you were talking about. And what you were talking about was 100% on the money. You were talking about families. You are talking about their time frames. You're talking about their agendas. You're talking about the money that they've got to throw around, the pocket change. What I'm trying to say is you're 100% on the money. And speaking to Ed last night, he was incredible. And it's listen, it's not some conspiracy theory. 
I mean, I think there's a, uh, a professor, Colum, David Colum or something in New York, who goes, you know, if you think it's a conspiracy theory that politicians are conspiring against you, if you don't think it's a conspiracy that, you know, politicians are conspiring against you to deprive you of your freedoms and your wealth, then frankly, you're an idiot. <laughs> something along those lines. You know, these people do that. That's what they do. And there are big banks and families, private bankers and families who have over centuries bought out all the politicians and the governments. And I don't believe in governments anymore because of what Ed said to me last night. He said, by definition, you're giving them that power. Govern, govern. Why should anyone govern you? As far as I'm concerned, they're the state. Okay. And the state is not entitled to govern me. Um, so these states, these state apparatuses, have got their agendas and they're working not for the people, by the people, for the people. They're, they're working for other vested interests and you can call them whatever name you like. And it's interesting you map out what, you know, the, the mainstream media want to say quacks and crazy conspiracy theories or depopulation agenda. But you're right. The, the reality is like you just need to watch on the TV and they say, we're killing the planet. There's too many human beings. You know, there's a scarcity problem. We need to be, what is it the, the, they say that the tag word for everything now is that we need to, you know, oh, I can't remember it, but sustainability. We need to be sustainability. What the hell does sustainability even mean? Give me the definition of sustainability, you know? I mean, there's a cooking program that I like to watch normally here in the UK. And it's like, we, because of sustainability, the starter dish has to be vegan. And I'm like, what? Dude. JJ, what the hell? Vegan? Vegan means it's sustainable? What the hell? Is, since when? Monocrop culture? Pesticides, insecticides, and raping the land and big agra is sustainable? <laughs> like, you know, it's just, how about regenerative farming? Pasture fed, regenerative farming practices. Why vegan? <laughs> like, what's sustainable about that? But this is the mad world that we're in. And the reality is, if you open your eyes and look carefully, you hear and see all the tells they're telling us too many people too many people one world government proper governance don't trust your local institutions don't trust your family dob in on your parents trust us the state we will look after you you know it's an agenda but i want to ask you a little bit more you know can you go back a bit you know you talked about transfectus transfection or that i'm honestly i'm not playing dumb here right now i really am I keep hearing this word and I'm not really sure. I would love you to define it. What does it mean? And why, why are these mRNA jabs transfection? And when you talk about, you know, they want to drop the population to 2 billion and it's almost like they want to collect data. How are they collecting that data? And what is the purpose of it? And how are they doing it? I know there's lots of questions there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quiet now. Okay, I wrote some of it down. So first of all, and just start from the 30,000 foot level to bridge from what you just said. I think that, that the trick is also in terms of how they're governing the globe. So mm. remember that, or not remember, but kind of maybe think along with me and maybe imagine that previously they have been governing us by a nation on a nation's level and by the language we speak mm. and by the newspapers we read. And for purposes of governing, the globe, that's not going to work. Um, in order to convince everybody <clears throat> to behave similarly and to accept similar system of governance, you're going to have to convince them 
of something that they share. Um, and so even religion could be used locally, you know, to govern countries like Saudi Arabia or whatever. You can use religion or culture, whatever you want to call it. Mm. But if you want to govern the globe, which is a bunch of people who were previously governed by different ideologies, you need to unite them in a, uni in a united ideology. Mm. And so the trick of the pandemic has been an enchantment mm. on the whole globe to convince everyone, regardless of what language you speak, that we are united by a common danger. And this common danger requires a global governance system that we didn't need before mm. because this common danger didn't exist before. Mm. And so this is a much bigger mythology than just was there a virus or not. This is a mythology which can serve as a uniting mythology so that regardless of what language you speak you know mm. why we, that person's wearing a mask and you know why they're showing their passport and you know why everybody has to have the same passport now mm. and this is a huge trick that i think people aren't really seeing in terms of the strategy going forward again thinking 50 years from now how can we make all these disparate cultures on the planet think of themselves as one the first thing we need to do is make religion dumb and then the second thing is we need to replace that. Mm. And so they've replaced it with this mythology of public health. The idea that there are pathogens, that Mother Nature's a bitch, and she's coming to get us because <laughs> there's too much of us. And, and that our biology is, is really vulnerable to this. And we've mm. just gotten lucky to get 10 billion people. But eventually this had to happen. And... I really believe that at some moment they realized that this was the only way mm. they have. There's many videos where you can hear them lamenting that nobody takes the flu seriously anymore. Mm -hmm. There's they were lamenting that already in 2002. And so if that was the case, I'm going to posit that one of the possible interpretations of the last 20 years is not a struggle to understand biology, but a, concerted effort to set up a mythology about the potential for this viruses these viruses to create pandemics sars in 2002 is offered as evidence that pandemic potential exists mares in 2012 is offered as evidence that pandemic potential exists but if both of those were very simple bioterrorist attacks bio weapon releases mm -hmm. and then a careful track of how far they went mm -hmm. if ebola in rhodesia was just the release of a bioweapon agent mm -hmm. then you see that this pandemic potential could easily have been exaggerated by the very people who wanted to use it against us mm -hmm. and so for me this this the thing that is so compelling is that I, I feel as though I've gone through all of the evolution of understanding this story. In 2020, I was sure it was a lab leak and they were lying about it and that they were lying about the immunology and whatever. In 2021, I was pretty sure that they were lying about transfection and how it would help and how sure they were it would be okay. In 2022, I was sure that they had lied about the diffuse proposal because it was no way that somebody wrote a grant proposal about fear and cleavage sites and then leaked it on a on a website. And this 
virus just happens to have a fear and cleavage site that everybody's been crying about for two years. That was impossible. And so then I think also in 2021, the CDC leaked a, leaked a slide set that showed that vaccines weren't working very well and that natural immunity was failing against Delta. And so everybody thought, wow, it's a leak. They must be trying to cover up how dangerous this new variant is. So they've been playing this game the whole time by baiting us with leaks and with feigned censorship. And then everybody pays attention to that person. This game has been going on since the very beginning with the idea of getting everybody on the planet to think that there's a mystery to solve and that the United States government is covering it up and that the Chinese government is covering it up. And so what happens is the whole world solves the mystery and then the whole world accepts the mythology at once. Yeah. And they blame it on the U.S., they blame it on China, and now everybody in rural Africa and everybody in rural China and everybody in rural America all believes the same mythology. Being, Dude, that, they've definitely been and playing now, us. Now they can govern our children forever. Now they can 100%. govern our children on this mythology forever. 100%. I mean, I've had someone called Dr. Jonathan Engler on, and he debunked the whole COVID narrative and the vaccines. And his COVID narrative, he was like, look, if there is such a pathogen, how come it, you know, stayed within certain state and national um, boundaries and borders? What kind of pathogen is it that doesn't infect one area more than another? That's a bit weird. It's a very intelligent pathogen. Um, and, and he looked at the data and said, it's actually no worse. If there is a pathogen, it's no worse than the average flu. So he's, he forget whether there is a, a virus or not a virus. The fact is, whatever it is, isn't any worse than a normal flu, right? And this idea that you can manufacture something and make it deadly, forget that. That's just playing into their narrative because then, you know, this whole game of gain of function, they try to cover up. Then they, then they said, yes, there is one. You're playing into their hands because what they'll then say is, oh, yes, there was a terrible gain of function. We'll never let gain of function happen again. Oh, but then there was a pesky lab in Russia or Ukraine and they were doing gain of function. Now we need a global structure to make sure no gain of function. And then we fall back into their trap. How about we just accept, actually, shut up. We're not buying this garbage. You know what? You can't manufacture these things and make it scary and terrible. My cameras, I'm just well, going to change that's where we've got, I That's where I think we've got to be a little careful, though, because... Okay. Um, I think that that's where the no virus people are playing their cards and winning. So let me break that down. Please do. Before. I'm just so going to move my camera. Is, you carry, you carry on talking. I'm just moving my camera. Yeah, sure. Carry on. So if you break this down, like you're saying, and you, you say that, okay, they they cannot manufacture more deadly viruses. That's a lie. Um, I would suggest that, that's not the right way to say it. And that's actually very close to how the no virus people would like you to say it. Um, mm, okay. Okay. The trick is to realize the trick is to realize, and this is the biology that I think got me in the most trouble and got me the most attention was, is to realize that RNA versus DNA are two completely different levels of fidelity. If you start, with an RNA molecule and try to use enzymes to make more of that RNA from that original piece of RNA, mm -hmm. it's actually 
from a biological perspective, impossible to make a pure quantity of the original piece of RNA. Because when you copy RNA, it is an error-prone process, and roughly every 10,000 bases <clears throat> at minimum, you're going to make a mistake, where you either don't put a base there or you, or you put the wrong one there, and so you're going to change every copy. Um, that's not true with DNA, because DNA is double-stranded, and because there are complementary enzymes that assist in DNA replication, which proofread mm -hmm. based on the two strands coming back together. And that proofreading reduces the error in copying DNA by several orders of magnitude, between a thousand times and 10,000 times better. Now, if you think carefully about what they tell us they do with coronavirus, they use a little swab, they go into the anus of a bat, they put that in cell culture and they look for the sequence of a coronavirus. And that's the best they can do. And the, the way anus. that this all, well, it's the anus or the saliva or wherever they look, but they definitely do a lot of anal swabs. Um, oh. The point is, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's how they sampled them. The, the point is though, and this is the trick, is that when they study any RNA virus, but especially coronaviruses. You can go through the literature. There are actually hundreds and hundreds of papers that back this up. They find a sequence in the wild that's usually incomplete and using the previous consensus genome of other coronaviruses, they fill in the blanks. They make a synthetic DNA copy of that sequence, which because it's DNA, can be copied with high fidelity in a bacterial culture into a larger quantity. And then they lyse that bacterial culture, they break it up, they isolate the DNA, and then they use an, a commercial enzyme or a cell culture to take that, they usually use a commercial enzyme, to convert that DNA to RNA. And now the trick to realize here is that if they swab the, a bat, and they get a sequence that grows in a dish, it will grow in a way that I described earlier, which is every copy will have errors in it. It will never be pure, and it will constantly change after every copy. If you take that sequence you found in the bat and make a DNA construct of it, and mm. make many copies of that DNA, and then convert that DNA to RNA, now you can have a purity level of RNA that will never, ever, ever exist in nature. And it's so crazy because that's exactly how they produce the mRNA that they inject in people. They grow it in the DNA culture. Of a, they grow it in a DNA plasmid of bacteria. They take that plasmid out. They convert it to RNA. And then the trick is they have to purify the RNA from the DNA. And that's what they've failed to do here. That's why one of the contaminants is this circular DNA in the shot because during the tra sorry during the recombinant growing process using the DNA to make the RNA results in that DNA being present and needing to be removed so all and i say all coronavirus biology is based on the idea that you don't start with a stock of virus you start with a synthetic RNA clone that was made from a sequence that was turned into DNA and then made into quantity 
before turning into RNA. And that stock of RNA is what they send around when you request a sample. They are not sending you SARS coronavirus that was grown from a patient three years ago. They're sending you a synthetic clone made from the DNA sequence, the RNA sequence that they found in that patient. And that is manufactured by these general or good manufacturing processes, and they call that a challenge virus, but that's really a synthetic clone. Okay. The, the NIH and, and, and Tony Fauci, they all know that synthetic clones are the way that RNA viruses are studied. So this is the final thing. This is the trick. They can't enhance a virus and make it more deadly, and then it'll go around the world by itself. But they could make a virus more deadly and then make copies of it and make sufficient quantities of it that they could distribute it around the world. And that virus could be expected to make people sick, but it will not have the replication competence to cause a pandemic. Mm. It will all be dependent on how much quantity was released in the beginning. So I, I got it. they have lied about the potential for RNA to spread, but they have also lied about their ability to make it look like it's spreading, their ability to make it look like there's a uniform signal in different places is is enabled by this clone technology. And this is the secret. They don't want you to think, they don't want me to say that RNA can't pandemic. They want you to believe that a single RNA molecule, if it has the right sequence, can suddenly go around the world. And that's not possible. Doesn't matter what fear and cleavage site or what HIV sequences you insert, it's not going to endow RNA with a new ability to copy itself perfectly now. And so there's no way for Delta to go around the world or Omicron to go around the world. RNA doesn't do that. So the only explanation is either they did it with clones or what I think is a much simpler explanation is that background signal was already there. And all they're doing is just finding it for us. What do you mean and by so background signal? a background signal. Well, there's no data about coronaviruses before 2020. Nobody was doing PCR. Nobody was sequencing anything. So for all we know, these viruses have been in circulation since, since forever. And we're only now able to find them because somebody convinced us that these tests can find it. But in reality, okay. we don't know how yeah. many people okay. tested PCR positive in yeah. 2019 because we weren't doing it. I'll be honest with you. I've got a little bit of a cold. And, and so I have what a they really I have a little bit of a headache yeah, and all this stuff you've just told me is making my head hurt. I mean, I'm just telling you. And that, so the average person on the street may, isn't as clever as you're, you know, I'm telling you uh, is like me. The average person on the street is like me. Right. And what you just told me kind of makes sense. Well, think but about it, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have a, you gotta have a, the idea that, that one of the things we have to explain, maybe mm. I need to do a slide here. One of the things we have to explain is, this idea that they keep telling us, which is that this is where the biology breaks. Okay. What they've been telling us, um, let me get this ready to go here. The biology that they've been telling us on oh, what, very sorry. You can edit this out probably. No, it's all right. It's okay. The biology that they've been telling us 
Biology that they've been telling us, if you look above my head here, if you can see that arrow. Yeah, I can see This it. is 2018, and the Earth, yeah. the Earth was free of this disease. And then sometime in 2019, the Earth became exposed to this disease. Mm. And then this virus spread around the world over the coming years. That's what each of these stripes is, a new year. Mm. And so green Earth before, and then yellow Earth during the pandemic. Mm. And the, the 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 different colors here are to signify the spread of different variants. And so first it became Delta, then it became Omicron, and now we're at some other variant here. The 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 prevailing narrative is that something arrived in late 2019 that wasn't here before, mm-hmm. that we were all vulnerable to it, and that's why it went around the world so fast as it did. Mm-hmm. Now, what the problem with that is is again. The problem with that is, is that this idea that we, that we, oh, you probably couldn't see that whole thing. I forgot that you had that, that, that I was cropped there. I apologize for that. Um, that, <clears throat> that the idea that it wasn't there before is very similar to, and that's a, that's a, that's a gigantic monumental assumption because they have been working on coronavirus for decades. At least two got out in 2002. And in 2012, but we also know that there were infinitely number of leaks from China that were reported in science all through 2002 to 2012 before the mayor's outbreak. We know that we've had leaks in Fort Detrick and other places. We know that labs around the world are leaking all the time. And so the, the concept, again, that is on that, that, that slide that there's nothing in the background in 2018 and now there's something in the background is such a huge gigantic assumption given that we have zero not only a little we have zero data on the prevalence of SARS viruses anywhere in the world before 2020 the only way we the only place we know they are is in caves in in China because that's the only place they've ever looked They've never sampled people in China en masse to see how many people have had this antibody for the last 10 or 15 years. Mm. They never sampled. And when they did, when they did sample people from before the pandemic, they found overlapping immunity. They found antibodies to SARS coronavirus. So the, the whole concept that they started with is this idea of a new thing coming around. And because the the DNA or sorry excuse me, the RNA was changed in a laboratory. It was endowed with properties that other RNA molecules don't have, and that that is a mythology. That is a real big myth. myth. Can I just do a recap? I kind of lost my train. No, it's okay. Can yeah, I just do ahead. a recap? So, am I right? And 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 what you're saying is that look, if you can't really have pandemics because. The thing is either like a deadly pandemic, because the thing is, it's either very deadly, this pathogen, but if it is deadly, then it's not very transmissible because it's going to just kill everybody. So it doesn't have a chance to infect and spread or it's very transmissible because it's not very deadly and people carry it around with them and keep infecting lots of other people, in which case it's not really deadly. So this idea of it's either going to spread around because it's not that deadly or it is very deadly and not many people are going to get it because the ones that do just die. So this idea that you can get a deadly pandemic actually doesn't make sense. 
Um, you can't, you can't get this. Correct, and I think you still. Yeah, but you're still. I think you're still missing it a little bit because it's hard. But RNA can't spread like a pandemic. So. Yeah. No. No. I got that. The only way. Yeah, I got. I got that. The RNA. Yeah, but I. I it degrades. It degrades. There is deg- no. There is no highly. Trans- exactly. There is no highly transmissible RNA. That's what I'm trying to say. There is it so can't. even it's, yeah. It's so there's no, no such way because when it. Sorry. So it it keeps mutating. It keeps mm-hmm. degrading. It cannot produce viable copies of itself that it can transmit. It it basically creates its own dead alley, dead blind end. It just runs out of steam. It runs out of track. It's got nowhere to go. So if there is something out there, then people are releasing it. And that's kind of worrying. And I don't know if you're aware of these leaked text messages and WhatsApp messages, but there's a, a there was a health minister or our minister here in the UK called Matt Hancock. And he was talking about releasing the next variant. What that? Did you come across that? And if that's okay, what did that mean? What do you mean release the next variant? So I think I got to draw a picture here because I want to make sure that people get this. Um, do it, man. Draw pictures. Okay. Um, I like your setup. I just want you to think about. I want you to think about um, clones for a minute because uh, clones are important to understand. From uh, is this? If I if I write an R, can you see it straight? Is that Beautiful. straight? Yeah. Or is that backwards? No, no, it's straight. It's not backwards. Beautiful. No, no. Okay, so I got to look at the here then. Okay. So, so I, I want you to consider what a clone is and how it would be different. So these boxes are meant to be the lungs where the clone is going to replicate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one of the first thing, one of the first things that I figured out a while ago was actually from an interview with Robert Malone, where he was describing the infectious cycle of a virus, and one of the things he casually said was that RNA viruses, when they replicate, the vast majority of the particles that they make are replication incompetent. And the reason why they're replication incompetent is because they have sufficient errors or shortening or cutting short of their genome that gets packaged in them that they're not going to be successful when they enter another cell. Mm. And after looking up this reference and looking up in the literature, you can find especially in the very old literature from the 80s and 90s where they were using more more basic methods to try and dissect how a, a virus was replicating in culture, mm-hmm. they also noticed that very few of the RNA molecules are the full genome, and most of them are very tiny, broken-up fragments of the original genome. So in a, in a real infection... As we understand it, and I'm not saying that this understanding is correct, but as we understand it now, in a real infection, can I put myself down here? Yes. In a real infection, you're going to be infected by the viruses that you inhale. But as Robert Malone said, the vast majority of those viruses are going to be non-replication competent. And so I'm just going to choose a ratio here of, uh, what, what is this, one-third. So mm. out of 12 viruses that you inhale, um, six or sorry, eight of them are non-replication competent and the ones without an X are the ones that can replicate. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
if they replicate in the same ratio and we go through one round of replication, these four viruses will all make four good copies of themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And they will make eight copies of bad copies that don't work. I could draw them all, but you get the idea, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get them all. And so each of these four original viruses will 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 replicate in the same bad way. And so mm -hmm. you'll get a fraction of them that are replication competent and a larger fraction that are replication incompetent. Mm -hmm. Now here's where it gets weird. What would happen if Dr. Malik was to get in transfected or exposed to a clone? where all of the RNA molecules were replication competent. Oops, sorry, 12. So you get infected with 12, but they're all replication competent because they came from a clone. They were deployed in the New York subway. They were released by aerial drone in Iran. They were released in the water or wherever in Wuhan. And so you get transfected and that's what it means when you get infected with rna and rna starts making proteins we've been doing that as a commercial product for 20 years and no matter whether you use gold particles or electricity or lipid nanoparticle it's called transfection if you put foreign rna into a cell in order to make protein mm. so this was a very general term like anything that opens up over your head and protects you from rain is called an umbrella. Mm. Anything that puts RNA into a cell to express protein is called transfection. And in reality, if you use DNA, it's called transformation. Mm. So if there was DNA in an adenovirus, and then you put that adenovirus in someone, that would be called a transformation. And if you put RNA into a particle, it's called trans transfection. So here we go back to this. If you're infected with a clone, and the clones replicate just like these do, you're going to get four replication-competent viruses and eight non-replication-competent viruses from every one of these perfect copies of the original RNA. So in reality, they can make a virus more deadly just by purifying it. Do you see how powerful that is? Because mm. then the other thing they gain is that every person that is infected with that clone will sequence for the exact same sequence and will PCR for the exact same amplicons. That's not true if it's a natural virus because there will be too much variation and their molecular signal wouldn't be strong enough to claim the homogenated signal of a pandemic. Mm. The only way it could be accomplished is and this also explains why anybody exposed to this would have much more severe symptoms than somebody who is exposed to what this person exhales. Could it also explain you why we had... Yeah. So apparently some of the reasons why we saw more cases than other areas like New York, New Jersey, Northern Italy was, according to Jonathan Engler and, and other other very prominent people, was likely due to the policies that we instigated, like intubating, denying access of care, um, you know, denying really? antibiotics, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Is I it... think that there's a reason. 
Carry on. I think there's a real thought experiment to there's a real thought experiment to do here. What would happen if you just told people that pneumonia could be caused by a novel virus, and if it was caused by a novel virus, your normal ways of treating it won't work? Mm. How much damage could be done? How many people would be killed if the administrators of hospitals enforced that policy and told you that you'd lose your job or that you'd be convicted of malpractice if you didn't follow the directives that this pneumonia is different? Yeah. And that this person with a heart attack, if they test positive, shouldn't be resuscitated because you might spread the virus. Mm. If this person tests positive and they can talk, you still should ventilate them because they might spread it in the hospital. Imagine the damage that would be done mm. and how long it would take for us to recover our senses if the message was so uniform across all sources and including censorship of those people that went against it. There wouldn't need to be a virus and we'd kill thousands. Yeah. That's what happened, my friend. I'm sorry. I really think that's what happened. And if they had to do something in order to convince more people to do it, they would have used a clone to do it so that the exact sequence that they wanted to claim was everywhere it needed to be. And if they needed it somewhere else, they could just put it there. They didn't have to wait for nature to spread it there. Why would they wait? This is for all the marbles. This is for our children's children. They're not messing around here. Why would they ever gamble on a natural phenomenon when they could orchestrate it with the molecular biology that they already have? So, that's, this whole, that's the point. I get it, because it's always about motives, isn't it? So if you go, what is the motive? The motive is you get total governance, you have a problem, you react, you have a solution, you offer the solution. The solution is one world governance. Um, the solution to their agenda is depopulation. And so this has all been engineered. And by that process of deduction this is actually a criminal act it's a crime against humanity um you know there is a motive um wrongdoing has been done fraud has been done um harm has been done on epic scale um infringement of human rights human liberties um experimentation has been going on i mean this is this is bad this is a this is not good these are bad charges so going back a little bit, little bit back, little bit back. So are we saying that you cannot manufacture a deadly thing that's going to spread naturally? These are, you have to deliver, you have to deliver these clones and drop them and transfect people and then hype up their numbers and instigate in, in parallel medical practices that will cause harm as well then you conflate it with the media and the censorship you squash out dissent and then you roll in an experimentation we haven't talked about these mrna jabs where jj have you looked into that what what role does this play i mean i hear so many different sure. things like oh you know what the mrna jabs don't even do anything there's no there's no, it, it doesn't create spike protein you can't measure it some people say it's the lnp that's dangerous some people say no it's a disaster everyone who's had the jab is going to be dead in a few years what what is going on mate please can you explain like what to your understanding i, I mean i don't i don't have a good I don't have a good answer, but I do, I do understand that um, it's a bigger picture. Um, 
I, I still don't necessarily believe that we can see um, far enough ahead to understand what their plan is. Um, but with regard to the bigger picture of thinking about our sovereignty over our bodies, and again, going back to this big idea that they're trying to allow us to let go of their, their idea that anything is sacred here. Um, you know, a baby, as soon as it comes out of the womb, in America, we, we administer two shots immediately. Hepatitis B and a vitamin K shot. Because Lord knows, as soon as they come out of the vagina, they're already in need of medicine. And it's not medicine like a little food or, you know, a wash in their belly. It's medicine like injected into their frickin' muscle. And it's extraordinary. Um, we've also, for a very long time in America, been circumcising little boys on their birthday because that's just what we do in, in hospitals. And it's absurd. But this is the kind of place. I mean, it's. It, <sighs> they have needed us to submit. And the. the the potential for let me let me back up. The so potential I, for you, you get using, you get your, you you gather your thoughts. I, I want to talk about that Hep B business. I I was speaking to Aaron Siri on my podcast, and it was shocking because Hep B is meant to be this sexually transferred um, infected virus, whatever bodily fluids. What the hell is the need of a baby to have a Hep B injection? I I, I just don't get that. And I broke down with Aaron what were in these vaccines. You know, we've got lots of toxins. We've got these things called adjuvants. I, do you know, I, I went through med school. I, was, I wasn't taught any of this stuff. Aluminium, mercury, nope. you know, detergent, you know, E. coli, plasmids, DNA, freshly chopped up aborted healthy fetuses. Like, not some cell line from God knows when, but they need it for substrates and God knows what else. From a moral and ethical point of view, I find this repugnant. Mate, I've been on a health journey. I, I, I want to eat organic. I don't want organic, pesticides and insecticides. I, I want to be careful what I drink. I don't want to drink tap water. I don't want fluoride in my toothpaste. And now you want to inject this toxic soup of crap in me and my family? Uh, no thanks. No, but they've been they've been doing, they've been doing it for years, though. That's the point, and and I believe with with all of my being that the way that they think to go forward um, is is just a bluff. So uh, one of the the anecdotes that I tell a lot is that Robert Malone, in an interview, was he, if you're not aware of. Robert Malone's long history. He actually did a postdoc with Murray Gardner. Um, Murray Gardner is the guy who smuggled the AIDS virus from France to Robert Gallo's lab and allowed Robert Gallo to falsely claim that he had isolated the virus first. Um, so Robert Malone was a young scientist in the heart of retroviral research, of HIV research, back when this, this disease was being defined. And back when this field's sort of range and spectrum was being defined. And so in that way, he is very much uh, an authority on how this, how we think about these things has been crafted and how the, the prevailing narrative, the common understanding of how these diseases work 
has been created because he was there when these were real unknowns. He was there when the story was laid down. So it's very curious that he is now here uh, for this story. It's very curious to how many other stories he was involved with, with Zika virus, with Ebola. And the, the, the legit deal is that since he was very young, he said that he went into retroviruses because, quote unquote, he was sure that within 10 years there would be a geneticist at every hospital curing childhood diseases using retroviruses to write into the genome. Now, if you do your imagination with that, that's a pretty extraordinary jump from we found retroviruses to we're going to be able to cure childhood diseases with them. Yeah. Now, that that imagination is not much different than what you will see at a TED Talk or at a WEF presentation where they talk about the coming future where transhumanism is going to make us demigods yeah. and we're going to have control over our over our DNA. This illusion is starting to break. And so the only way that they can maintain this to our children is to completely go all in. And so they're really all going all in now with the idea that if we don't we can't show you how, but they're sure that they have to collect the data. They don't have the AI that will solve the problem now, but they're assuming they're going to have it. So the the sales pitch is not a future destination. The sales pitch is if we don't collect the data, then the data will be gone. And we know we should collect the data because otherwise we definitely won't solve this problem. And I think you're aware of this other, I'm, I'm being a little bit incoherent now and I apologize for that. You're aware of this other shift that they're trying to go to personalized medicine. and personalized medicine is rna and dna it isn't drugs that are designed for you personalized medicine is genetic medicine and so the goal here i believe and this is the long game that i can see i don't know if it's right or not but you already mentioned parts of this the first trick was to say that the mrna was rushed that it was contaminated mm. that it's not pure Mm. And that if it was pure, if the manufacturing processes weren't rushed, if the quality control was better, if we had chosen a better protein, yeah, then it would have worked better. Yeah. And then the next step will be actually we underestimated how important it was for every therapy to be tailored to you. And the only way we're going to be able to tailor mm. this beautiful genetic technology to you is if you surrender your data to your doctor. And so the inversion is still occurring. It's going to go over several years. Yeah. Where they slowly convince our children that they rushed it. Those old people made mistakes. The pandemic made people go crazy. But this is a technology with a lot of promise that wasn't ready for the pandemic. It's coming in the future. And the way it will be is personalized medicine. So then guess what? This dumb FDA that screwed up the pandemic, we don't even need them because it's personalized medicine. So it's got to be for everybody, tested individually. This whole clinical trial thing goes out the window. Dude. And so, so this is a slow roll. 
change of how we think about our biology and how it's, it's happening. I'm sure. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, and I love the way you've broken it down. But I think reality is we need to tell our kids this mRNA technology is dog turd. And today they're saying, oh, this dog turd, you know, it's, it's just been packaged incorrectly. It shouldn't have been dealt with that, but it's really great for you. No, it's dog turd. And when tomorrow they go, oh, they made a mistake with that last time. But, you know, if we present it to you like this with a little bit of lettuce on the side, it's much better for you. No, it's still dog turd. No, the problem is, you know, we need to put it in a sandwich or a lasagna. And you know what? We need to dress it up a little bit more. And they just didn't know what they're doing with it last time. No, it's still dog turd. Just don't take it. It's not good for you. It stinks. It looks awful. I think we should. I think. uh I think we should teach our kids the, the immunology that, that makes the, the most sense here. So I drew this picture on, on, on Brian uh, Hooker's podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was something I'd never done before. I just did it on, on spontaneous. And I think Are it you going to draw a dog really turd well. and label it mRNA technology? No, I'm not, but that's okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll try to do something similar to a dog turd. Um, so let me see if I can do this right. I'm going to try and make something that looks close to what I drew for Brian, and then I'll get it in the center of the picture. I, I had Brian Hooker on my podcast, right? too. Okay. He's great. Yeah, I know. He's a great guy, isn't he? Um, mm. So this is your body. Okay? Mm. Um, and I'm trying to draw it as silly as possible, because I want you to see that there's an outside, and there's an inside. Mm. And so the inside is here, and the outside includes your mouth, your lungs and mm -hmm. your gut all the way out to your backside, right? So that's a really good picture exit. of me because lacking a brain. Well done. Right. We don't need our brain for this one. No. So no. and a mouth. So the, uh, the immune system is designed to protect the inside from the outside. Mm -hmm. And the immune system is very specifically solving the problem of how do I molecularly tell the difference between something that exists on the inside and something that's approaching from the outside. Yeah. Now the trick to, to see with the immune system is that here in the gut, the immune system has to let everything pass that you want to eat and, and, and absorb. Mm. So there's a very different task for the immune system that occurs in the gut then occurs with the lungs, where the lungs mm. is really a place where nobody's allowed. Mm. The skin is also a place where nobody's allowed. If you mm. get an infection in your skin, your immune system will get rid of it. If you get an infection in your lungs, that's a very big problem. There's no tolerance for things in your lungs. There's mm. a little tolerance for things on your skin. There's more tolerance for things in your gut. Mm. Now, the important thing to see here, and the thing to think about, is how your immune system learns this. With mm. a respiratory infection with a pathogen, the respiratory virus enters your lungs, but more importantly, it gets stuck in your mucus, and the mucus allows it to go down into your gut, past the stomach, and go into your gut. Mm. Which means that your immune system to a respiratory, your immune response, excuse me, to a respiratory virus is the intolerant response of T cells that are responding in your lungs and the balance of that with the tolerant T cells that are responding in your gut. So when the spike protein, if we just use that as a dumb example of the, of the virus is in your lungs, 
you are mm. building T cell responses that only are intolerant to it. Mm. When the spike protein passes down into your into your gut, mm. you start to build T cells that are tolerant to it. Mm. And in reality, as we understand disease, it's my understanding after three years of really trying to figure this out, that it is the crescendo created by the intolerant T cells, followed by the decrescendo created by the tolerant T cells, which brings us through the progression of disease. And so if you were to immunize someone at the inside of their body, then there's no way for the immune system to create the yin and yang of intolerance and tolerance that will allow the immune system to correctly identify and respond to that pathogen. Instead, you will be generating mostly intolerant cells because you've injected it on the inside. And therefore, when you respond to the disease, if you respond correctly, it'll be fine. But the problem is, is that what did your immune system do here? And what did it develop memory to? Because as you said, when you're vaccinated, you inject adjuvants. And adjuvants cause your immune system to look for things and look for things to focus on. And what that means is, is that in addition to the, the measles protein that you injected here, your immune system might build memory to what's in your gut. It might build memory to what's on your skin. It might build memory to what you inhaled in the next couple days. And all of those immune responses will not be stimulated by a natural mechanism, but will have been stimulated by this crap mm. that they put in your muscle. So that is likely the reason why intramuscular injection can sometimes appear as to be a harmless or appear to have some positive benefits because your immune system is forced to produce intolerant memory to whatever you inject here. Mm. But more importantly, your immune system is tricked into activating and into looking for things to encode. And that effect, they call it an adjuvant, but that's really a, a toxic effect. Because mm. telling your immune system to look for something when it shouldn't look for something is tempting it to find something from the inside. And so that's what makes transfection particularly dangerous because what you're doing in transfection is you're injecting into a person the RNA. The RNA is going to go into cells that line the, the capillary walls because that's where the RNA is going to circulate in the blood. And when the RNA goes in here and expresses spike protein, then what's going to happen when it expresses spike protein is that the immune system is going to recognize this as a foreign protein, mm -hmm. and it's going to kill this cell. And now that's fine because it does that to cancer cells all the time. It's always mm -hmm. killing cancer cells when it finds them. And where are cancer cells most likely to be? They're most likely to be in tissues that, re, that divide. So in your lungs, in your fat cells, wherever there are tissues that are allowed to divide are places where we typically find cancer. And it's always being held in check by your immune system. In the case of a foreign protein in your endothelial cells, 
The first time you get transfected, this might not be so bad. This cell will get destroyed. The immune system will present any proteins that it finds here that are foreign to the immune system, and you'll build some memory to that protein. That's fine. That sounds all well and good. Now you do it a second time. The second time you transfect somebody and their cells express this protein, there might be antibodies around. And if there are antibodies around to that protein, not only will they bring in the immune response, they can also bring in the clotting response. And that could lead to a cascade that causes severe injury and death. This could also, every time you transfect, and this is the trick that Michael Eden really was the first person, and as soon as I heard him say it, I knew he was right, is that every time you challenge the body to destroy its own cells in order to eliminate the expression of a foreign protein, you are challenging the immune system to clean this mess up and not make any mistakes. And what I mean by that is, is that if the immune system is cleaning up a bacteria, any antigen it chooses will be relevant to that bacteria. But if an immune system is cleaning up your own cells that are expressing foreign proteins, the vast majority of antigens that are present are not yours. They're, 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 they're sorry, not foreign. They're your antigens. And so you're challenging the immune system to do something that it normally doesn't have to do, which is sort out self from non-self in a place where infections don't normally occur. So it's like a double, a double whammy for yeah, the, it's the ultimate. immune system. Because if you remember the it's if you remember the picture I gender, drew, it's the, the ultimate immune, gender dysphoria of cells. They have no idea about their self anymore. The immune, the immune system is designed to defend this barrier, and in fact, if you look at this barrier and you were to you were to magnify it, you know the barrier would look like a, a gradient. There would be mm. thick skin, and then some cells, and then some blood down here. And so there's a gradient from inside to out. And even that gradient is completely avoided if you are augmenting the immune system by injecting in the muscle where this gradient isn't even present. And the gradient is so important because why? The border, rather, is so important because the border on the whole body is manned by lymph nodes. So the whole network is on is organized under the principle that there's a barrier that's defended by individual cells, and those cells, if necessary, will migrate back to the local lymph node and recruit more cells to go back to the infection. So what lymph node is draining your muscle? What lymph node will they go to, and where will they bring those T cells back to? That's the problem here is that the, the, the immune system is organized around these barriers and it's designed to respond from lymph node to barrier, lymph node to barrier. Now you've, now you've transfected random cells in the body, most of which are probably endothelial cells, but it could in theory be any cells. We know from those biodistribution studies that it goes everywhere from the ovary to bone marrow and anywhere it goes, you are challenging the body to destroy its own cells and not make any mistakes as it cleans that mess up. And with any other vaccine, surprisingly enough, 
you're not doing that. You're just putting garbage in and then telling the immune system to blindly look for things mm. to focus on. So mm. are they dangerous? Yes, they are. But a transfection adds all kinds of stuff that was never in the factor before because instead of just toxins being inject injected intramuscularly, now you're setting up a biological paradox for your immune system that is much, much more dangerous and potentially could have side effects years later when okay. this autoimmunity that developed. JJ, 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 I'm going to ask you again. Are the people who are doing this genuinely ideologically driven by the idea that this is a great platform and they've got fantastic science and they know what they're doing and they just need to tweak it a little bit? Or do they, or do they know that they're, they're destroying humanity? They're killing our genome. They're depopulating. What's going on? Because if, if everyone gets injected with these things, you've got rid of the, the natural, native, healthy stock of DNA in humanity. What's left? Everything's corrupted. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, first of all, I don't think that the gene line or the, the, the gene line is corrupted. I don't think I don't think that uh, I mean, it's very dark. It's a very dark question. I don't really know the answer to it because you are right in some ways. Um, but again, I don't think that the data collection is has started yet. I think this is really they want babies, right? So even if they convince the the college kids that are currently twenty something that this is the future, it's it's even their kids that they're trying to get. So. So in a way, um, if you want to hear how dark I think it is, yeah, go for it. I really actually think that they don't, really, I don't think they really mind whether this transfection works or not work. Um, and I definitely don't think this transfection was really meant to do anything other than confuse and frustrate and frighten us into a, accepting, um, even more than we had accepted before the pandemic, that when we are told to accept an injection, we should accept it. And honestly, once they have us there, if they should decide that they need to depopulate, then all they have to do is change what's in the shop. Um, and that's where I think this gets the worst, is that they most likely um, confused us with that same game. Um, you can imagine a scenario where very easily they transfected some people with a very hot lot and they released a lot of placebos. And so there's lots of people going around thinking, yeah, I took the shot. I didn't feel anything. I'm great. I'm not sick. And that creates more confusion and uncertainty and doubt that gets everybody arguing with one another. And that's really what this is, is creating an instability so that they can foist this mythology on us. And so honestly, I don't think I don't think the transfection or the spike protein or the impurities, these are all distractions from the more abstract goal of getting our children to accept that when the TV says you need a shot, you need a shot. Mm. And that if the TV says there's a pandemic, there's a pandemic. Okay, and, I get that. And JJ, the, I've the only got 51 part of. JJ, I sure. could talk to you for literally two, three hours more, but I've got kids to pick up in 15 minutes. Um, very, very quickly, yes. you've got five minutes. What's with this whole goddamn no virus camp? 
I mean, I'll, let me just lay it out to you. You've got five minutes. I don't want to delve too much time on it. But I basically, right, used to believe in the germ theory because I went through med school. But naturally, I've kind of gone away from 100% that because I think it's about my constitution. How fit and healthy am I? How well do I take care of myself? You know, if I look after myself, I'm more able to fight off infections and be more resilient so I'm not 100% in the, in, the, in, the, in the germ theory camp. But equally, I'm not in the 100% terrain theory because you know what? I sometimes, you know, poke myself on the knee. I, 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 I knelt down on a Christmas bauble in December and I pranged my knee and I got an, an infective bursitis. I took some antibiotics and fixed it within a day or two. Um, I don't think me thinking my knee would get better would get better on its own. It was pretty horrendous. Within 24 hours, it was like, boom! And um, I, I knew I needed to get antibiotics on this ASAP. And no amount of me going, no, no, I just breathe better and sleep and, you know, it will all just heal on its own. So I'm not 100% on terrain theory either. I'm kind of like veering towards, but the terrain theory people, I've had a few dealings with them. They're like, there's no such thing as viruses. If you think there's a virus and you're a controlled opposition, you're, you know, you've, you, you don't know the basic um, foundations of science. Bacteria don't cause infection and contagion. Bacteria are only there to eat dead tissue. It's something else causing it. And it's like, oh, you feel like you're getting into like legalese, like jargon and self, you know, unsubstantiated arguments. You just can't tackle it. It's just, I linguistically, I just get lost. What is happening? What's going on there? Um, so I've had, I've had three years of experience with them. Um, and it is, in my best estimation, it is a cognitive trap, which has been amplified on purpose with very specific people at the helm who understand exactly what they're doing. Right. And what they're doing is they're conflating the exaggeration of disease in the in the realm of public health with with um so yeah they're they're conflating that exaggeration that's occurred on the local level with certain viruses and with certain diseases and with certain old papers where there's no doubt that our understanding of viruses has been exaggerated mm. and they're exaggerating they're 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 conflating that with with complete lying so that all of the observations that we've made in the last 50 years can be dismissed as lies, as opposed to a bunch of people who are working under the wrong paradigm and therefore interpreting all their data wrongly, incorrectly. And so for me, as an academic biologist, what I feel like they're trying to do is avoiding having people come to the more sophisticated conclusion, which is that there are many lies. There are a lot of exaggerations. But measles isn't fake. Flu isn't, isn't fake. Well, how we understand it and how we purport that it works might be exaggerated or wrong. Mm. But the existence of these phenomenon, the existence of the shadows of their genetic signal, the existence of 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 small outbreaks of disease that appear to be contagious are not illusions mm. but they are things that are not adequately explained by the simple pandemic cartoons that are on television they're not explained by the simple 
cartoons about vaccination getting rid of disease. So I'm those aligned with you definitely, there. So I'm so aligned with you there. I think so, that these people. Yeah, these people. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, you know, I, I was are, saying, right? I was saying that look, I can't argue viruses or no viruses. That's not my field. I'm, I'm an orthopod. What I can argue about is medical ethics, and for me, that's a low lying fruit, right? I can say we didn't have informed consent. We, you know, medical ethics was broken. We were experimenting. There was coercion. <laughs> there was incentivization. You know, there was fear. There were mandates. This is a low lying fruit. Why would I not grab that? I can debunk everything exactly. that's happened with this yeah. simple, non-contentious information. And because and I said... Imagine, imagine, imagine that they can, those no-virus people can turn their viewers off of your podcast by just saying that Dr. Malik doesn't believe in viruses. He believes in viruses. Yeah, what, what the hell? They can turn them off of your podcast and all of the things that you're doing simply by saying that he believes in viruses so he's controlled up so that's how that, spectacular they are that that to me is controlled opposition then that to me is the ultimate yeah, that's control. what they're doing yes so i need to so i need to tell you something really funny so i invited someone onto my podcast and now for the second time they've refused to come on and the, and the kind of argument was i'll come on when i agree when when i agree with on the no virus thing and i was like Hold on one second. That doesn't even make sense. You only want to come on if I agree with you. What, what kind of point? No guest has ever said that to me before. I had another no virus guest who said, unless you fully understand everything, I won't come on your show. And I said, no, hold on one second. Hold on one second. I'm not an expert in every field. I've just had someone on about 9-11. I've had people on about vaccines. I've had people on about smart meters and 15-minute cities. And I, I, I'm a dumb orthopod. I don't know everything. You know, I, my area of expertise is foot and ankle surgery. And actually, the main expertise is about medical ethics. I have guests on to educate me. And because I'm so dumb, I'm actually placed in a really good position where I can ask lots of questions because I want to understand. And you're telling me you're not going to come on until I fully get on board with what you're saying? I mean, to be honest, my bullshit detector went, <laughs> it went crazy. It was like, these guys are freaking mental. <laughs> it sounds like a cult. And either, my opinion is, either these people are so deluded and in their cult and just misplaced or they're genuinely controlled opposition they have vested interest money they're making money from this they're they're there to sow confusion and division because back to ed griffin by the way ed griffin was saying to me look there's 15 percent of the population who is like us freedom thinker critical thinker not conspiracy theorists ct critical thinkers and the biggest weapon the enemy has to use against us is sowing division, confusion, and controlled opposition. And this is what I'm always constantly trying to protect myself from. So thanks for agree um, explaining that a little bit. One last thing, very, very quickly, because I do need to move soon, and I've got a few more questions. What about this whole nonsense that I keep hearing? Well, it's not nonsense. It might be true. Oh, no one's purified a virus. No one's purified a virus. What's that all about? Well, that's what they're talking about with respect to clones. What I said was that when you sample a virus from the wild, at most, what you can get is enough 
biological signals so that you can sequence it. That's about all you can do. So most of the of the the coronavirus biology that was done from 2006 onward, which is really where it started, was finding sequences and then making RNA in order to study them in a laboratory. So when they say they haven't purified a virus, what they're saying is that when you sample a virus from a sick person or from a sick animal, the only thing you ever get is a PCR amplicon amplification or best case scenario, you get a sequence. And none of these experiments are proof that the, the sickness that that animal was experiencing or the symptoms are from that, that sequence. And they're not wrong about that. Mm. But then what's crazy is when you discuss the fact that virology has overcome this problem by using DNA to make pure RNA infectious clones, they say, well, that's a lie. And it's like, what are you talking about? I'm giving you the perfect way for you to get the ball over the finish line. And instead, they told me that infectious clones are just as big a lie as the natural viruses are. And there's where you know they're completely full of bull. Because mm. I wanted to help them make their arguments stronger by saying that natural viruses don't grow in cell culture, can't be perpetuated forever, and clones can. And they instead attacked me and said they could never talk to me and that Jonathan Cooey's attacking us and not being mm. very nice. When Don't all I wanted it. them to do was accept that natural viruses might not be as robust as they say, but the synthetic ones work. Mm. The synthetic ones can be made by the truckload and distributed in any number of ways, which aren't magic. You can aerosolize it. We have vapes. You could. You could... Put it in the water. You could. I don't know how you could do it, but I'm sure that 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 the military-industrial complex has figured out ways to spray things around. Okay, so JJ, I've got two quantity of DNA or quantity. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I got, I got two questions for you. Listen, number one question: yeah. Say you're like 158. You're really healthy up until that point, and now you're on your deathbed. You're still comfortable. Don't worry about that. But you've you've had a conversation with your maker. You've got a few hours left. You're surrounded with your family, your children, your great-grandchildren, the whole shabam. What advice would you impart on them, health or otherwise, before you pass away and meet your maker? Wow. I would say that they're a pattern integrity. And the, the joke from my when I was a kid that your body's a temple and you are what you eat is really as close as we've ever been to the truth. Um, <laughs> the most important thing, though, that I think nobody really thinks about as much as they should is that if you if you were to actually write it down, you only have about 30,000 thoughts a day. And so if those 30,000 thoughts are intruded on by your scrolling, you're giving up you're giving up the opportunity to control what those 30,000 thoughts are. And for whatever reason, we're brainwashing our children to think that getting thoughts inserted into your head by this thing or a screen or something else is completely harmless, but it's actually not. And I think this is really, as far as going forward, this is the frightening thing, is that this is an illusion mm -hmm. of consensus. If you see five people on this phone that say that Black Lives Matter, it certainly seems like that's a consensus idea that I should get along with. If mm. you scroll up this thing and see that five people on Facebook say that Trump is a 
is a traitor, then maybe that's a consensus I should get along with. If you scroll and see a thousand doctors say that there's a novel virus that everybody's vulnerable to, mm. it seems like a consensus I better get along with. Mm. And this this trick we need to we need to to learn and 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 not subject ourselves to anymore. That's amazing. I like that. Right, last question, buddy. Can I have you back on my podcast, please? Anytime you want. Yay! Yeah. As many times <laughs> as you want. Dude, if it wasn't for the kids, honestly, I'd, I'd carry on talking. I think next time, because of the time difference, if, it, if we can start a little bit earlier, I know it means getting up a little bit earlier for you or starting early, I'm sorry, but if that's no okay. Problem. No problem, Dude, I, can I, I can do that. I you. really enjoyed chatting to you. And I, I've got so many other things to talk to you about. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation, mate. I loved it. I loved it. Thank you very much. I'm so happy we finally got to meet. Yay. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to put all of JJ's contact details up on the website. So if you want to follow him and find him, um, JJ, I'll be posting this in about a week's time. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone. Okay. You're welcome.